0: National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the
1: news and topics that affect your life.
2: Hundreds of thousands of young people will meet Pope Francis in Portugal next weekend for World Youth Day. The Holy Father doesn't want this opportunity to be simply religious tourism. It's a spiritual pilgrimage, he said. Father Roger Landry joins us now to talk about how World Youth Day uh, can help all of us on our spiritual pilgrimage of life. Then we turn to another well-known p- pilgrimage site, Lourdes, and the film The Miracle Club, which highlights the journey of a group of young of women, not just young women, to our Lady's Shrine at Lourdes in France. Registered Senior Editor Joan Desmond reviews the film, and plus she offers her own experience of assisting pilgrims to Lourdes. I'm Jeanetta Mello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and your host here on Register Radio, joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen, who is EWTN's Vice President and Editorial Director. So Matthew, as I understand it, you'll be there in Lisbon uh, for World Youth Day. This is going to be taking place August 1st through 6th.
0: That's right. Yeah, it's a privilege to be there. This is actually my first uh, World Youth Day. Uh, it's ironic considering oh, that wow. I aged out a while ago. But I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to uh, covering Pope Francis's visit and uh, uh, watching everything that we're doing across CWTN News as we cover this. Uh, World Youth Days are uh, always very notable. Uh, some of the most memorable events in recent years have taken place at World Youth Day, and, and I suspect this one will be no different.
2: Absolutely. So this is uh, Pope Francis's fourth uh, World Youth Day. And of course, this is the 37th World Youth Day. It, it was started in uh, 1986 by Pope John Paul II. And, and so before we welcome uh, Father Roger Landry on, uh, I just wanted to get a, a few of the highlights, um, yeah. if you will, Matthew, of what we can expect next week.
0: Well, with uh, every World Youth Day uh, that's attended by a pope, a lot of the focus is on uh, what Pope Francis will be doing. So we know that uh, he'll be arriving, he'll be greeting a lot of the officials and leaders of Portugal. uh, But then he'll be spending quite a bit of time with young people. A couple things to highlight. uh, the One, of course, is uh, his planned journey to Fatima. Uh, which uh, I think uh, for him especially is of, of great significance. And then there are the, there's the Way of the Cross uh, and uh, the World Youth Day Vigil, which is always a very intense experience for those who attend it, from what I've heard over the years. Then we'll have uh, the concluding mass for World Youth Day and then he returns to Rome. In terms of uh, EWTN, we'll be there pretty much every step of the way starting on Tuesday, August 1st mm-hmm. with uh, a preview show, we'll have the opening mass and then we'll have coverage throughout that week. Uh, culminating with uh, the Holy Mass with Pope Francis and his meeting with volunteers before he heads back to Rome.
2: On the 6th. So Wonderful. Well, let's bring Father Roger Landry on. He's a Catholic chaplain at Columbia University, so he works directly with the age group who will, who will be going on this pilgrimage, and he's been on uh, this pilgrimage, the World Youth Day pilgrimage, several times. He's a priest of the Diocese of Fall River, Massachusetts, and he joins us now. Welcome, Father Landry.
3: Great to be with you, Jeanette. Great to be with you, Matthew.
2: So you wrote this column uh, as a preview to uh, World Youth Day in Lisbon, and it's called Going to Lisbon with Mary in Haste. And, of course, that is partially because of the theme that the Holy Father selected, and he selected this theme uh, that is uh, uh, about Mary going in haste uh, to see Elizabeth. And, and so that's what this whole World Youth Day message is built around. Um, we'll get into that in a few minutes, but I love the fact that you have been to World Youth Day many times, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your own experience um, going to World Youth Day uh, over the years. World Youth
3: Day was pivotal for me. Uh, as a 23-year-old, I drove across the country to Massachusetts, to Denver, I picked up my twin brother in Cincinnati, and um, and we got there in Denver when St. John Paul II came for World Youth Day, the only World Youth Day in the United States. And just to be in the Pope's presence, as well as in the presence of 750,000 peers from all over the world, taught me something about the Catholicity of the Church. And I've never forgotten that experience. That, um, he called us to be sentinels of the dawn, of the sun rising. And I've always tried to be that type of herald as a priest, uh, modeling myself in my own circumstances on what St. John Paul II tried to do for the Church Universal, and really be a sign that Christ continues, risen from the dead in our midst. And so that experience launched me into seminary with a lot of deal. And then when I became a priest, I took young people from my parish in my high school up to Toronto, where John Paul II came in 2002, And what a life-changing experience that was for so many of the people I was serving. Like, they continue to talk about it. We just had, last year, a 20th anniversary of that pilgrimage, and almost everybody showed up for that pilgrimage, and they were talking about how it helped them to become good parents, helped them to be good workers, helped them to really become better Catholics. And then I had the privilege in 2011 to lead another pilgrimage to Madrid, and um And the young people on there, we had our 10th anniversary during COVID surreptitiously um, two years ago, and they likewise are now getting at the stage where they're marrying and making big life decisions. And when we were talking about the themes in their memories, most of them are able to cite them as if they occurred yesterday. What John Paul II's genius was in calling for World Youth Days was to send us on an adventure to be able to encounter not just the successor of St. Peter— But the successor of St. Peter's boss, as we come together to pray together, um, the whole Church is one big family praying around our Holy Father and seeing how um, we're called to make the Church in the world ever younger. Because Jesus tells us very clearly that unless we become like a little child, we won't enter into the Kingdom. And so it's the young who teach us the real values of the Kingdom when we form the young to be those teachers.
0: Yeah, Father... uh, These are life-changing moments, I know, for everyone. It it was for you in in Denver, I think, of the 5 million who gathered to visit with Pope Francis uh, in the Philippines. It's considered still the largest gathering in human history in one place. But how do we calculate, how do we estimate that a World Youth Day is successful?
3: So I think we always see it by the fruit that come from the encounter. And so, like, when we look back at Denver— there were two immediately conspicuous roots. The first is, extraordinary amount of priestly and religious vocations came from Denver. And so many of the people who are my generation were there in Denver, and whether we were thinking about it before or thought about it for the first time, we uh, were strengthened in our hearing God's voice calling us up close to follow Him. The second thing you see is what it does to a culture— In Denver in 1993, one of the big news items was you brought 750,000 people to Denver, and there was no crime at all, not just by the 750,000 young people, but by anybody else, that the invasion of this type of joy into a society changed the society, that it was salt, light, and leaven all at the same time. So those are two things that you see. The third is, like in Denver in particular, John Paul II was evangelizing the bishops of the United States, Immediately after Denver, he started to welcome some of the bishops on their every five-year visit to Rome, and he kind of joked with them that, you guys didn't think people would come to Denver. What do you think now? And, Uh like, to give them the confidence that the young people hungered for the Gospel, hungered to be challenged, and when they were challenged in an appropriate way, they would respond. And JP two, you know, um, risked his whole papacy on things like those uh, beliefs in young people, and how they really want Christ and will respond when they find him. And so that revolutionized the bishop class in the U.S. to, rec- uh, to, to grasp that effective youth ministry isn't to address the fads of the age, but to address the perennial issues that um, reverberate in every young heart. And so I think that those are all parts of the fruits of World Youth Day that makes the whole church younger, but it makes the whole church recognize that God is with us, and it accentuates the Catholicity of the church because the young from all over the world come to be with the successor of Peter.
2: You know, what you say about uh, Denver, you know, having immediate fruits, you could see the peacefulness and uh, the lack of violence, you know, in the city at that time. I wasn't there in Denver, but uh, for that World Youth say I was in Toronto, so I, I witnessed it there. But what you saw in Denver in the subsequent... Um, decades, really, is just this re- this uh, revitalization of Catholicism there. Um, just a, a, an incredible shot in the arm <laughs> um, for apostolates in that, in that city. And people would flock to Denver. Um, uh, you know, I lived there as a communications director for the Archdiocese there. But people would flock there because of that vibrancy and because those kind of endeavors were flourishing. So it really did have this um, uh, a new springtime effect uh, in that place, and um, and obviously as a, as a light for our country. Um, I hope that it can bring that and has brought that in other places, um, but Denver is truly an example.
3: It is quite clear, Jeanette, that that happens routinely. Many of us in the West are ashamed of the gospel. We don't want to admit it, but we interiorize a little bit of the secular attacks on the church. Mm-hmm. And when you're able to get together with 650, 750, 5.5 million young people from all over the world saying, I'm not ashamed of my faith, that can't help but be a spiritual infusion for the whole mystical body. And that's what we see every time.
2: Yes, and I don't want um, to bring us in too deeply into controversy, but this year, you know, there have been some questions about um, whether conversion <laughs> um, is the purpose of... Of, of World Youth Day, and and the head of it there uh, in in Lisbon had, you know, said, well, we're not out here to convert or, or to proselytize, as he said it, but but really we can see quite clearly that was J- John Paul II's intention, and, and really it has been the effects.
3: So conversion, Jesus' first words, which have no expiration date, are repent and believe. In order for us to be good Catholics, we need to be continually converting and we need to be growing in faith, and so every World you say, everything that the Church does has repent and believe as part of it. I think what Cardinal-designate Aguiar was trying to say was, we're not going to be heavy-handed when people come, we want to meet people where they're at, but it was very unfortunate language that he used Mm -hmm. because ultimately what conversion means is we're not who we're supposed to be yet, that we're not fully living the risen life of Christ and Convert, etymologically, means that we're turning with the Lord Jesus. As he turns to the Father, we turn with him. As he turns to our neighbor in need, we turn with him. As he turns to us in sacred scripture, we begin to look at ourselves in the mirror as God's image and likeness. And so conversion is not a negative thing that drives people away. Conversion is a positive thing that we've got a second chance and a third chance and a 77th chance to become those saints that our baptism calls us to be. And so uh, when the young people of the world go to... Uh, Lisbon, regardless of what the people running it might articulate, Jesus Christ is going to be summoning everyone to that repentance and that faith, because that's why he took on our flesh and entered our humanity, that's why he suffered and died and rose, and that's why he founded the Church. That is the Church's perennial message, and that is a happy part of the good news, not part of the bad news.
2: Absolutely, and uh, you've really just nailed exactly how all of us who aren't going can participate in this, and that is to look at our own lives and see where we need that continual conversion on this pilgrimage journey to heaven, hopefully. And I do want to point out your column, which is titled, Going to Lisbon with Marian Haste, that can be found at ncregister.com, and also Father Dave Pavanka, president of Franciscan University of Steubenville, wrote a column that was in our july 30th print edition called the theology of pilgrimage our path home to heaven so we hope you'll go to ncregister.com and take a look at that uh... father landry it's been a pleasure to be with you today
3: i'm racing with the two of you to Lisbon.
2: awesome wonderful we'll go in haste (laughs) when we come back we'll talk with joan Frawley desmond about the film the miracle club this is register radio on ewtn stay tuned for more
4: If you need your news on the go, read The Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try The Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register.
2: Read faithfully.
1: Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN.
2: Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, joined by my co-host, Matthew Bunsen. And, of course, uh, Matthew loves movies. (laughs) (laughs) And so, as we were talking about um, this film, The Miracle Club... Um, which is about uh, a trip to Lourdes, um, we were realizing both for both of us um, that it, it kind of went under the radar. So um, we asked Joan Frawley-Desmond, who has had many trips to Lourdes and, and really has a special place in her heart um, for uh, the ministry of bringing the sick to Lourdes. Um, and we asked her to go see it if she could, and um, and she did. So Joan... Desmond, um, our senior editor, is here with us now. Joan, welcome back to Register Radio. Hi, Jeanette and Matthew. It's great to be on. So we were just kind of chit-chatting before we, we got on this show about how much this film has gone under the radar. and um, but But now, you know, it's starting to get some some interest. So what what's the deal here? Why has it kind of laid so low and and tell us a bit without giving too much away of of the plot of this film.
1: Well, I think it partly did not get the attention it might have because Sound of Freedom has gotten a lot of attention. So and so I think there was a lot of energy around that film, and so that probably accounts for some of it. And now that film has full theaters. It's uh, from from the Angel Studios, trying to kind of get people going and get parishes going. Now I've had friends who are having trouble finding a seat uh, mm-hmm. in a theater for Sound of Freedom. So it's interesting. There's a lot of faith-based interest in films, and this is an example of that as well. But it's a gentler film. Obviously, it's not covering the tough topic of of sexual trafficking of minors. It's a less sensitive topic. So it's about. Um, it's a sort of a weird a hybrid, a comedy-drama that begins at a Catholic parish in Dublin, where a group of friends joins forces for a talent show. They win the first prize, which is, of all things, a bus tour to Lourdes. <laughs> and two aging friends, Lily, who's played by the indomitable Maggie Smith, who is showing her age just a little bit. I don't know how old she is, but she must be like 100 or something. <laughs> but nevertheless, so it's not down to Abbey, but Maggie Smith is going strong. And um, Laura Linney is fabulous. She plays a a, a more complex character. But anyway, the two friends, Lily, uh, played by Maggie Smith, and Ellen, played by Kathy Bates, another fabulous actress, are joined by a younger woman, Dolly, who's a young mother with a a son who has never spoken and who hopes for a miracle at the shrine. So before the bus departs with the pastor, who's a lovely priest, and and none of the kind of negative characteristics that often apply in Hollywood versions of of Catholic priests. Uh, He finds a very sympathetic character. This woman, Chrissy, appears kind of out of nowhere. So she's the daughter of a recently deceased parishioner, and uh, she had vowed never to show up until her mother had died, and had actually fled the town, uh, fled the community where she grew up in the parish, Forty years earlier, and so she becomes the character that sort of takes on, uh, sort of moves the plot into a direction that none of the the pilgrims now on their way to Lourdes ever anticipated.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, for the record, uh, I think Maggie Smith is uh, eighty eight years old. <laughs> 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 it's close, I'm
2: it. <laughs> shy. I, I mean, <laughs> but but
0: I think we can all agree there's something about her that's just simply eternal.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> but to have
0: a, a cast like this, and uh, along with the, the other noted actor, Stephen Ray, uh, who has been around also for many, many years, it, it's surprising that uh, a cast like this would come together for what is generally viewed as a small film. But I love the word that you use, it's a gentle film. And mm-hmm. what was your thought about how they recreate uh, Ireland in the late 60s?
1: Well, that's only very briefly, um, yeah. very brief recreation of that uh, and, and some of that I didn't find really worked as well. Uh, so just to just to tell you, the main plot had to do with this, this group of friends along with the pastor and then this unexpected, not really invited guest, Chrissy, Laura Linney character, who all head off to Lourdes. They get to Lourdes, and Lourdes itself is not the real Lourdes, I should tell people, in the film. So just to be clear, it actually is filmed in Ireland, I believe. I don't know if they tried and failed to get approval for filming, Um, And there are a few other things that are a little bit out of whack for those of us who have been to the Bass before. Um, But occasionally the the plot returns from Lourdes and what becomes a kind of delayed reckoning of events that occurred uh, 40 years earlier when Chrissy had left the community and the reasons for her departure, the death of the person that she loved and was... was, um, Uh, was the son of of, of one of the the pilgrims. And it all comes out that, you know, mistakes were made and there was bad judgment. And the question now is, with this new opportunity for a reckoning, will they learn something from it? Will lures Mm -hmm. become an opportunity for reconciliation, or are they going to maintain their somewhat Irish, you know, uh, grudges uh, (laughs) grudges and grievances, which can be stereotypes, too, by the way, but but they're real, I think, speaking as someone who's three-quarters Irish, I would say I've observed this at times. Um, so th- that's the primary plot. And then answering your question, um, the secondary plot, which unfortunately takes away from the energy of the film, in my view anyway, is that it keeps going back to Dublin, where the husbands of these women are in charge of the family's. And, of course, this being 1967, which I may not have mentioned, so more than a half century ago, these husbands um, are not up to speed um, and have maintained a division of labor regarding household duties. And we know what side of, of, <laughs> of the labor force they're on, and it's not in the kitchen, right? So there's a lot of humor associated with that. But some of it, for us, in a 21st century sensibility just seems kind of unnecessary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: but the part in Lourdes is really interesting.
2: I want to get to that. So, I mean, really, I want to get to your experience in Lourdes because you wrote a beautiful blog that, that um, it talks about the Miracle Club and you say, it, you know, it's a, it's a flawed film, but it gets one thing right about Lourdes. And the, that's really, it, it, you know, uh, uh, it, the attention on what Lourdes can mean in people's lives. I mean, and you've been there, Joan, how many times?
1: I've been there four times, and I'd like to go there more often, but that's as many times as I've been able to go, I think three or four times. And each time, as I said in the blog, is really special. It's like, I think probably people who have gone on multiple pilgrimages, wherever it might be, have probably found that to be the case, because the Holy Spirit guides any pilgrimage, right? And then you have the very human people who are involved. And, you know, is this meeting that you have with somebody on the pilgrimage... Is it accidental, or is this really what the Holy Spirit wants for you at this moment? Or what they want for the person you might be helping, or, or talking, or ministering to, or vice versa. So it's, it's very, very beautiful. Um, I was on a pilgrimage where one person told me that he wasn't comfortable initially going on the pilgrimage, and felt he had nothing in common with everyone on it. <laughs> but the first person he met was the husband of a woman whose wife had the same condition his wife had had, and his wife had, had died. And all of a sudden, there was this enormously meaningful relationship. And he didn't share what had happened with his own wife, but but it, it gave him insight, and he was able to support this person as they, you know, were on this pilgrimage. So these are the kinds of seemingly serendipitous um, occurrences that you later wonder, hmm, I wonder why this really happened, you know? Um so it's very meaningful. And I, I speak about first what the baths are like. And very briefly, because the baths have changed now, so people will not be able to go to Lourdes and experience the baths in this way ever since COVID. They felt it wasn't safe. So they have a really good way, which involves people taking the Lourdes holy water, washing their hands and, and faces, as Bernadette did. But the tradition of the baths has been longstanding. And there were volunteers involved, and people stand in line. And when it's their turn, they disrobe, um, usually a small group is brought in at a particular time and each has a turn in. They disrobe, they have a wet cloth that they wrap around themselves uh, for modesty and also to give them, make the, make the water a little bit less cold. And then the volunteers very gently lead them into the water and then kind of draw them out. So it's a very short, you know, few seconds really in the water and then they, they come right out of the water. And each time, as I say in this uh, blog post, it can be very different. So the first mm-hmm. time I almost froze to death um, <laughs> and didn't want to go back the next time. Something very kind of Flannery O'Connor about that, isn't there?
2: And yeah, it happened I- to me, too. I did the same thing. I had the same experience as you. It was just shocking and um, very dissettle- unsettling to me. Um, so, so, yes, I get that. I'm very, very Flannery O'Connor. So, But, yeah. but it changed And then I for come you. back the mm-hmm.
1: third time, and I want to go in. And I'm as I write in the blog, I'm like it's warm, and I'm crying tears of joy as I come out of the water, feeling like I'm a newly baptized Catholic. So, these are things that you can't predict. But but long-term members who have been working in the bath, who, who accompany milaz, which is the French name we use for the sick, who go on the pilgrimages, they have seen this this happen to them. It's happened to the people they serve, and so. It's, it's very meaningful. I, I want to mention one other thing. Um, and, you know, Lourdes is a place of hope. And you might think when you see some of the people processing and saying the rosaries, there is no hope, right? I mean, this, this person has metastatic cancer. Someone else has a serious disability. And we've talked before about those who have been cured at Lourdes um, physically. But many people are not cured, and yet the miracle can be a spiritual a spiritual, a deeper spiritual conversion, a deeper spiritual awareness and connection to the Lord, and to a sense of peace. And I was, I personally had the experience watching this with somebody who was actually a friend. He was a physician. He had taken teams on um, on medical missions in the past, and now it was his turn in the Lewards context. He had stage four cancer, and um, just in a really, very real, brutal moment of anxiety, he said to the priest who happened to be with us um, at a meal, he said, is this all a sham? Mm-hmm. There was just a moment of, like, complete, you know, sort of freak-out almost. And, and you it's just such a human question, right? And he said, the priest said, he just stopped and then said very calmly, ours is the face of hope. There is always hope.
2: That's Absolutely. It. And that was Joan, all we
1: needed to hear, you
2: know. Right, and I couldn't agree with you more. You know, this just ties together our two segments. This this show. Um, one is about Fatima, you know, and the pilgrims going there for World Youth Day, and now about pilgrims going to Lourdes, and it's really Mary is the theme, you know, on these pilgrimage and how she points us um, to Christ. But pilgrimage, like Mary's, was um, in in having Christ was not easy. Um, pilgrimage is not easy. Our lives are not easy. Our spiritual journeys are not easy. There are all these bag, this baggage and 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 trouble along the way, but the end. Um, really is our, our sights on on the Lord and 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 the ways that He gets us through each of these moments, and I think that is a cause for hope. And and so I appreciate, you know, this film, um, uh, the Miracle Club, and if that can can shed light um, a little bit on Our Lady at Lord's and the hope She brings, um, but even more so that we uh, might just kind of bring ourselves to some pilgrimage um, that can help us refocus on this hope in, in a time where things can feel tough. So, Joan, thanks for what you've written, um, for always sharing lords with us, um, and for your work at the Register. Thanks, Jeanette. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. And thank you for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, uh, I'm truly grateful. And I'm Jeanette DeMello. I pray that until next week, God bless you.